Welcome to Solving for B, your podcast for all things branding and marketing. So there's a great quote about brand that captures its importance and impact. Your brand is what other people say about you when you're not in the room. That definition comes from a guy who knows a thing or two about branding and business. The world's second richest man, Amazon founder, Jeff Bezos. Bezos leveraged the power of brand to build Amazon into a multi-billion dollar company. Since founding Amazon in 1994, he's consistently invested in its brand. As a result, Amazon has grown into the world's third largest business with over $300 billion in revenue. It's top of mind for many consumers who are looking to make their next purchase of, well, almost anything. In this episode, we break down what it takes to build and maintain a brand like Amazon. So sit back and enjoy this edition of Solving for B. Hi, and welcome into Solving for B. I'm your host, Chris Wilkes, and on today's episode, we're talking about Amazon. Uh, They're a brand that seems to be a part of everything we do in modern life, and so to help me make sense of all the many pieces, uh, I'm joined by Jonathan Fisher, Chairman. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me. Cynthia Stepetch, Director of Brand Experience. Hey, Chris. And Laura Ehrlich, making her podcast debut, our, our brand strategist. Hey, Chris. Great to be here. Awesome. Uh, so thanks for stopping in today, guys. Um, I, so I want to jump right in. Uh, as we all know, Amazon started as an online bookstore uh, back in, in the 90s. And since then, it's become much, much more than that. Um, they're a massive retailer. Uh, they're a, a web service provider, an entertainment company. Uh, and that's that's just naming a few uh, of the, the industries in which they play. But, but to start, I do want to start with... Um, what do we think Amazon's brand is? Who, who are they as a brand? Mm. Um, I think for sure a couple of words that come to mind uh, would definitely be uh, utilitarian, efficient, and uh, a timely brand. I think, uh, you know, Amazon Prime means a lot of things to a lot of people. They are, you know, uh, either a, a you know, positive force in, in the world or negative, um, depending on, I guess, where you stand either with, uh, you know, people who are in the workforce or consumers. But um, for sure, I think from their standpoint, it's like they are definitely that kind of efficient, timely type brand in the marketplace. So. Yeah, it's interesting. I think, um, and I want to, I do want to get Laura and Jonathan's take on this as well, but you bring up an interesting topic there's so many pieces and faces to this. You know, when we think of Amazon as the retailer, it is certainly, you know, timely, efficient, all those things that you mentioned. But does that play in their, now they have a studio, right? They have Amazon Studios and they have web service providers. Does does that play across all business units or being the conglomerate, conglomerate that they are, are there multiple faces to this brand? And, you know, Jonathan, Laura, I don't know if you guys have a, have a take on that. I think one thing that's interesting about the Amazon brand is how it has evolved. Um, as you pointed out, they started as sort of this mild-mannered retail bookstore, online bookstore. And while there's still about convenience, as Cynthia pointed out, and efficiency, 
Nowadays, you also, another word that comes to mind for their brand is innovative. You know, you wouldn't have thought about that as an online bookstore many, many, many years ago, but now they're starting to come out with the home robot, you know, some smart home devices. Uh, they've got the Halo View now that's competing with Apple's Fitbit. So, you know, they've they've got these additional digital devices. And so now another word that may not have come to mind years ago, but comes to mind now is actually innovative. Yeah. And one of the, you know, it's interesting you say that because one of their four guiding principles that they, that they list themselves is a passion for uh, invention, which, you know, invention, innovation, I know you're kind of splitting hairs there and you get those, but but yeah, I mean, it's an, it's an interesting take. Jonathan, I'm curious your thoughts on this. Well, I agree with Laura in the fact that when I think of Amazon, I think of their origination point, which is the, you know, ease of commerce and one click. And so I, I think of, you know, I go back to their roots and I think of them more driven by customer experience on the front end. And I will say not on the back end. Um, if you ever tried to deal with Amazon, they are very litigious. They are, <laughs> they, they take the position. It's never our fault. If one of your, if their driver runs over your mailbox and you don't have video of it, forget it. You know, if they damage your fence, you try to return certain products. It, it's almost impossible, um, in some cases. So I think they're heavily focused on that front end sales strategy and engagement of reducing any barrier, making it easy, you know, easy to work with. But on the backside, I mean, they're, they're notorious, they're like <laughs> the mob in some cases. I mean, they laid lever down hard on their marketplace suppliers and those vendors and go after patents and, and, you know, uh, competitive price suppressions with book resellers. I mean, there's just a, a long, long laundry list of, of, you know, what some would consider the very egregious actions. Unfortunately, I'm not sure any large company that built their way to the top doesn't have that legacy under them, but but it's, un, you know, it is unfortunate, but so I think it depends on a little bit of Cynthia's uh, comment early on, which is your impression of them is going to heavily reside on which side of the coin uh, and your experiences have been with them. Absolutely. So, um, you know, when you think about it too, I think back to this whole innovation thing, it's kind of the perspective innovation, whether it's like to continue to grow the, the behemoth <laughs> or is it innovation where we're really focused on like your, the consumer you know, uh, and how it affects them. It's like, are you really digging deep on your target audience and your buyer and what they need, how you can best service them? Or is it really about like, we're offering another new thing, another new thing, another new thing, another new thing, you know? And it's like, then how well are you doing all of these new things that you're offering? So there's a big question of that. And, you know, my always, uh, just with my UX background, it's like, I'm always looking at things like from the term of like, you know, personas, uh, who's your consumer really kind of digging in deep to like, you know, what's going to resonate with that target audience or that buyer and kind of seeing things from their perspective, which ties back to what Jonathan just said, you know, the return policy on things, how difficult or easy is it to do? And it's like, are they really thinking about that? Because I will say like even kind of digging through the app uh, in itself, you know, and I, I'm sure most of us use it on a daily basis. It's like, there's a lot of stuff in there that could probably be improved, you know, and it's kind of curious that it's got some, some major UX uh, quirks in there and usability issues that you kind of stumble across. You're like, this is funny, you know? I, I think there's uh, I've read a number of articles that talk about, you know, uh, they make decisions heavily based on bottom line. Right. Mm -hmm. And so um, 
maybe the bottom line isn't there to fix certain things. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Um, so I'm curious how, you know, cause as Cynthia alluded to, we probably use this daily, right? I mean, whether I, I just the e-commerce side of things we, we use probably daily. I know my wife, uh, there's a new package or two every day that arrives at my door. Um, and I have no idea how or why. Um, but I'm curious, is, is the brand so big as part of their brand now? Is it like, is, is it too big to fail in, in that, Jonathan, you mentioned some of the, the, the headaches of maybe working with them on some instances or, or some of the things where they're, you know, crushing small businesses and things like that. Um, is it something where we've just kind of, as, as, as consumers, we've kind of thrown our hands up and said, Hey, look, these are the only ones who can provide this level of service and, and can provide me this instant gratification. So they've tapped into that, that, that thing that's developed over the past, let's call it, I don't know, 15 years or so where we need everything now, have they made themselves so utilitarian and so useful that they're kind of insulated from any of this negative stuff that we, Frankly, I mean, I'll, I'll speak for myself. I look at it and I don't, I, that doesn't sit well with me that they're crushing mom and pop retailers. But if I need a slotted spoon because I'm making a gumbo later and I've, I need it in two hours and I don't feel like, you know, driving to the store, yeah, I might put it in the cart and get the prime delivery. So I, point being is, is, is that part of their brand? Do we think that that's strategic? Um, and and have they like in some levels risen above some of the rules that apply to maybe other brands that might might hurt other brands? You make a very valid point, Chris. I to me, there's there's two issues here, and one is you touched on and Cynthia referring to the user experience. It is so darn convenient that yes, I think that. Most are very forgiving um, in light of some of the um, issues that and challenges that they face and some of their the way they operate as a monopoly. But I think their consumers and even some businesses are so much more forgiving because they are convenient, because they offer what you need. Um, and I do think a lot of that is strategic. Um, the other thing is, I think they're exceptionally good at crisis communications. And so even when one of these issues do arise, um, one of the latest is this big lawsuit that they've got with Macy's. They want to take their billboard in Times Square and whatnot. That's causing all kinds of, but if you read all of the articles and how Amazon responds, they're really, really good at crisis communications. And, you know, I'm not saying that that's, that is, that. That absolves um, them. Yes, yes, yeah. good word. I'm not saying that absolves them. It just shows that, that you know, that is an aspect to marketing. And when you've got really good crisis communication and a good spokesperson and you have the right spin on some of these things, it doesn't seem as bad as as it really is. So, you know, I read some of the ways that Bezos responds to a lot of these, these comments and things, and he's he is a terrific spokesperson when it comes to things like that. Um, one other thing I wanted to mention before we 
we keep moving is I wanted to touch on the inventive versus innovative. Inventive to me means, in my mind, inventive as part of the brand is meaning you're kind of staying ahead of the competition in things that you are creating or manufacturing or putting out there. I don't see that part of the brand in Amazon. Innovative, yes, in their thinking. If they see something out there in the market that is successful, that is doing really well, they jump on that bandwagon. So the two examples I gave earlier, such as the home robot, that's not inventive, that's out there. But they got theirs out there next and very quickly and at a better price. Same thing with their Halo, um, the Halo View, they weren't the first to come up with the Fitbit or, you know, tracking how many day, you know, uh, steps you take every day, but they see that's popular. They, and they jump on it. So that to me is innovative thinking, but it's not sure. necessary. Yeah. It's being like innovative in your processes. And, and it's, I'm glad you made that distinction because that, you know, I, I kind of position them as like the same thing, but you're very right that innovative and in, inventive are have have a nuance to them that that I think right. um, is important to 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 figure out. Let's let's transition there. Let's transition the conversation to that. Um, you know, according to Amazon's website, <clears throat> excuse me, they're guided by four principles. One of which is the one we talked about, which is passion for invention. Um, two, the other three are customer obsession, commitment to operational excellence, and long term thinking. I'm curious what you guys think. You know, if you're, if you're giving them a scorecard or you give them a, 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 a report card on this, do they do they exhibit all of those four to you guys? Do you think that they deliver on those four? I think the invention one we kind of talked about, yeah, you're not really inventing a whole lot. I mean, maybe yeah. on the web services side, perhaps, um, perhaps even, you know, I don't know, maybe maybe not in the studio. I mean, there's what else can be done in movies and TV? Very- opportunistic you know so they see trends and things moving forward things that customers are becoming used to or something that someone else has started and they're like how do we roll this into our umbrella you know of offerings and I think they do a lot of that going back to the whole inventiveness versus um you know innovation innovation but, you know, the whole thing, I'm going to go back to the whole customer thing with the customer obsession part where, you know, again, it's like, is the customer customer obsession part, like, how are they fulfilling that? And is it putting all these possible offerings and services on a silver platter to say, look at everything you, we offer to you, you know? I'm like, uh, is that the customer obsessiveness, you know, kind of manifesting itself in a, more and more services by the day? Or is it really in digging in, digging in deep on how to help and improve humanity or their customers through what they're doing as a larger company? Uh, I, I question that quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think they, well, I think they're, I think they do pretty well on all, all four fronts. You could argue the semantics between innovation. I think, I do think they have been on both sides of that coin demonstrated the ability to capitalize on existing opportunities and things they've seen and also create things that didn't exist necessarily before. Um, I think they, you know, you could go back in time and talk about Sears and their catalog and then Walmart. And then, you know, Amazon is the online version of Walmart, basically. I, I think it's it's sort of like, are they too big to fail was your earlier question. I think they know they have failed in certain ventures in the past. And I do think they're probably going to be broken up at some point. 
um, in that process. Um, but I think as long as they stay long-term in, in their view and, and seeing where the markets are, are going, and because they have so much global data on based on, you know, the web and transaction and customer behavior, you know, can, can they be put out of business? Sure. With the next quantum technology, if they don't buy it first or create it, or, you know, some artificial system that, that somebody reinvents, there's disruptive forces that, you know, pop up um, in the marketplaces, but you know, will they completely go away? It's not likely will completely go away. Um, but I do think that they might reinvent themselves. I mean, they've got so many businesses now we don't even associate with them, you know, that we don't think of them as the Amazon brands um, that they've acquired. So they're heavily distributed now, um, which makes it hard to completely kill the organization in its entirety, um, Mm -hmm. for that regard. Yeah. So, and you mentioned, I, I kind of want to follow up on this. You mentioned that they might get broken up. Do you think that's, is that something that you, I don't even say predict, but is that something that you think would happen um, ultimately because of competition coming in and taking pieces and picking things off? Or do you think that's a regulatory, because that's a part of their concern as well, right? There's, I mean, there's, there's plenty of antitrust uh, uh, discussion around the Amazon brand as well as others, but I'm curious to know and your thoughts is that something that they need to consider as a brand, right? Like, and this ties, I think, somewhat anyway, into the branded house versus house of brands conversation. If everything's smacked with Amazon on it, um, do, does that make them more susceptible to a antitrust um, litigation? Or do you think that, you know, ultimately it's, it's a, um, it's something that competition will come in and, and naturally, let's call it, break them up. I think they have so much power uh, and politics, unfortunately, <laughs> regulation seems to be driven by politics these days more than ever. I, I, would, I think that they eventually will be broken up um, to some regards. And what that split looks like, I don't know. They may choose to preempt it and do it themselves, Mm-hmm. and just carve something out for the sake of doing it to operate. I agree um, with you. You know, yeah. but I don't think their continued acquisition strategies. I mean, people are, they're already looking at Facebook. They're already looking at Google. I mean, these gigantic tech companies are controlling, you know, 90% of our lives. Um, so I think we're going to hit a point where, you know, the, I could be wrong. I don't, I'm not a futurist. I don't have a crystal ball, but, but I, I think there's a point where you, you have to divide and conquer in order yeah. to. I think they're also, I think it's also a lot of it's going to be dependent on future administrations, future yeah. elected people in Congress and all that other stuff. What so, happens with the Supreme Court, right? You know, absolutely. So, so it's like, that's, that's where it's going to happen in the end. <laughs> yeah. But I think it goes back to them being smart thinkers too, uh, strategically. So I think if they if they do preempt, as you mentioned, Chris, they'll do it in a in a smart way. And and the thing is, and I don't know if this is good or bad, but because they are a behemoth, they can afford to take risks. They can afford to to break up and go, should we have sold that or should we have not? Oh well, we'll move forward. Yeah. They're 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 big enough to be There's able other to stuff over here. Yeah. Oh well, old news. Let's keep going forward. So one of the things is because they are such a behemoth, they can afford to 
take risks. They can afford to, if they decide they want to sell off part of it, um, one of their brands, and they look back and go, oops, that was a mistake, they're still not going to fail. So will they eventually? Uh, possibly, of course. As Jonathan said, we, we can't predict the future. But because they are so large, that does afford them to be able to take some risks in the marketplace with what they do with their organization. Yeah. And I think that's really in their roots and like uh, culturally who they are, that it's like the whole thing about selling books was just kind of like a way to get started to like develop these systems and the whole complexities of, you know, supply chain and shipping and all that. So it's like they're, to me, I feel like, you know, it's a very flexible organization and if they need to restructure, move around, they're, they're okay with it. I would think, you know, yeah, I mean, I think it, it would be it it will be interesting to see, you know, if and when that day does come that they are broken up one way or the other. It's like what part what part of their brand and maybe I'll ask this as a question is what part of your of their brand is so core to them that they would they would want to stay in and maintain in? I guess the easy answer is whatever's the most lucrative. But because they do have cloud computing, they have web services, they have driverless cars, they have, uh, you know, a studio. What, I guess, division do we think is central and necessary to their brand? Well, I think, or, or core, I think their core competency is their online consumer sales. I don't think that'll ever go away. As long as that remains as convenient as it is, and to your earlier point, Chris, Even when you go, oh, I don't really like their business practices, but I need that spoon tomorrow. As long as they can provide that convenience, and that is that does go back to their roots, online, convenient, next day. I think as long as they continue to do that, they'll. I mean, that's that that gave birth to the Amazon that it is today. Is is there a lesson in there? And this is veering a little bit, but is, is there a lesson in there? Um, and I know we're talking hypothetically a little bit, but for other companies, um, in, in in other brands across whatever industry, um, to to kind of ride the horse that got you there, for lack of a better colloquialism, um, that that core competency really is at the heart of everything. Because you know we're we're saying that it's possible they get broken up and, and the, the thing that, um, in the future, I want to say that, but if they, if we think that they're going to hold on to one thing or another, it would go back to where they started and their roots. Um, maybe not their, you know, I don't know, maybe it's, maybe their grocery stores stay open. I don't know, but is there, I guess, is there value or is there a, you know, to other brands out there to, to not, not, or is there a danger, let me put it that way, of looking too far ahead and keeping, taking your eye off of what you are? Because right now there's, there, Walmart is, is doing what they can to come for Amazon and look, they, they weren't first in this. So they're now, you know, having to, the, the, the online retail, um, they're having to play catch up and, and some other brands are getting more, you know, competencies when it comes to e-com. So does that, I don't know, I guess, is there a lesson in there for other brands to take, um, about, like owning your niche and doing what you do really well. Right. 
I, I think so. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, Amazon has this uh, thing where they call it the Amazon's day one mentality and approach to everything they do. And they ask their uh, employees, like, with everything you do, is it a one-way door or is it a two-way door? Does it open up doors to other things? But it's always, I think it's rooted in that entrepreneurial spirit and that's baked into the brand. Going back to that whole thing, like what if they ever had to roll back, you know, or kind of go back to their roots or their core, they get divided up. I think they're always going to approach it through that lens and their brand, which is that kind of entrepreneurial innovative, <laughs> inventive kind of day one approach, you know, yeah. it, it, it's one, I think it's how it guides their businesses decisions, but also how they present and develop everything inside the company. I yeah. agree with you, Cynthia. And one note that Chris said is, is owning your niche. Um, you know, even with brand extract clients, we do, recommend that a lot. If you're really good at something, stick with what you know. This is what these guys know. Now, depending on the size of the company, depending on the financial stability of the company, they may be able to take some risks, not the risks of the level that Amazon can take as they grow. But definitely, if you're you're really good at something and that is what you do, and especially if it is a niche in the marketplace, stick to what you know. So, you know, we, we tell our clients that even so, and I think Amazon kind of follows that rule book, but again, being the size and having the financial strength that they do, they can also branch out and test other areas where they can just to see if it fits, just to see if it works. You know, a lot of companies don't have that kind of luxury. Amazon does. Yeah. yeah. So speaking of Amazon and their core business, and then, you know, like you think about, you know, Look, it started as as we talked about as a book retailer, and then it it became a, a, a all encompassing retailer. You can buy pretty much anything from there. But then they start to branch out into web services, into entertainment, into grocery stores, and these kinds of things. I'm curious from a brand or from that brand, does that begin or has it maybe diluted some of the that brand of, of what they were, that online retailer or second way to ask this and sent two sides of the same coin. I think does, does that brand and all the attributes of that brand translate to those other areas? Because I'm, I kind of have a hard time reconciling like, you know, if we're going to be innovative and we're going to be customer obsessed, like how do you apply that to like a, a movie studio? You know, that doesn't, it's not really one-to-one. So I'm curious as, as branding experts, how would we navigate that kind of transition into brand or is, I I don't know, I'll shut up and let you guys talk, but. Well, you know, it's a little bit of a slippery slope, right? And I think uh, with any merger and acquisition, it's like, you know, how do you get this kind of brand story or the values and the positioning that all kind of line up between different offerings and the companies you've acquired or merged with. So I think a good uh, point of discussion is like the Whole Foods, a relationship with Whole Foods, which I still think is a bit of a disconnect. 
and um, maybe not on paper and maybe not with kind of the uh, way it was strategically organized on the back end, but on the front side and the customer facing side and going back to this being obsessed with providing the best customer experience, I can tell you that, you know, that kind of uh, merger of that brand along with Amazon was such a odd combination of companies uh, and I think perplexed a lot of people who are long-term uh, and long-time Whole Foods customers and advocates and fans and customers and all that. Uh, but even today going into the store and as this is me speaking on my own, being a, a customer for Whole Foods and a customer of Amazon, uh, seeing the signage in there, it doesn't, it, it's a weird disconnect. It doesn't, you know, it's, I don't know. I probably wouldn't have handled it that way. And I think, yeah. you know, I think they need to do some thinking as to like how Amazon and Whole Food really integrate with each other. Cause even to this day, I feel like it's a little bumpy. I think you make a very good point, Cynthia. And if I were to step back and think of it from a brand strategy standpoint, what I can see them doing is another one of these, um, me too approaches, right? They see the Instacarts, they see all yeah. of these that have been successful at delivering groceries. Well, they can't just somehow come out and go, well, tomorrow we're going to send lettuce to your front door. They've got to partner with a very, very strong brand to do that. So strategically, I can see that's what they were thinking. How are we going to enter the grocery delivery market as Amazon? No, we need to enter the grocery delivery market as Whole Foods. That's a trusted brand. That's a strong brand. So did they go about it too quickly and they didn't kind of think through this? I totally agree with you. But, but again, I'm thinking from it strategically, I can see that's where they were headed. I, I, I see that too. But when you think about Amazon, this is very kind of utilitarian. Right. Brand, right. And then you look at Whole Foods, which is really kind of hippified, crunchy granola. Totally. And it's such a weird combination of yeah. customers and offerings. You know, it's like organic Whole Foods, the big vitamin aisle, the organic this or that. And then you're like the massive conglomerate, you know, kind of like establishment, if you yeah. will. Yeah. Yes. Kind of eats up Whole Foods and say, okay, we're going to eat up the crunchy granola grocery store that's based out of Austin, Texas, originally, you know. Um, if I'm not mistaken, y'all can stop me yeah. if I'm correct. But uh, you know, and it's just it's 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 an odd combination of brands and companies, you know. So I, I look at it a little differently. So let's think about it from a competitive positioning. Um, if if they're looking at Walmart, Walmart's ability to deliver groceries, Amazon doesn't have the ability to deliver groceries online without a local distribution network. Yeah. And so, you know, for me, the strat brands, you know, you know, you can look at Zappos too and say, that's such an odd combination, right. Um, for them to acquire, but, but they, I, I don't see it in the terms of the brands and what they stood for. I see it in terms of their, their physical operational strategies. It yeah. makes total sense. Yeah. 450 plus national, you know, or however, wherever all their groceries are stores around it. I mean, those are essentially distribution centers and, and now you can compete with target. You can compete with Walmart, you know, for the groceries business. So they, they wanted produce yeah, and they wanted the distribution points and they weren't going to be able to deliver anything quickly 
you know, locally without, you know, without that. So, you know, yeah, on the surface, the brands themselves seem at odds, Yeah, you know, highly commoditized, insensitive, not empathetic, not organic, not environmentally friendly. (laughs) Um, and, And I do think that's one of the major forces, the headwinds that Amazon's going to face in the future. Yeah is environmental uh, issues. I mean, not only the cloud business because of the power and consumption of cloud computing storage capacity requirements, uh, but also just in the sheer, you know, everything comes in cardboard, you know, and, and my God, do they put stuff in big boxes when it shouldn't be that big, right? (laughs) I mean, I don't know about you, but I feel like my recycling is quadrupled because of Amazon at my house. Uh, but, but, you know, the consumption of, of cardboard, but not only that, but the distribution of that product, I mean, it's super, it's super inefficient and, and I'll just say selfish of us to go, Chris, and I'll pick on you for a second to order the hypothetical one spoon because you're too lazy to go to the store and get it. Right. And so, you know, this, this instant one item delivery, you know, that is a lot of fuel. That is a lot of emissions. That is a lot of wear and tear on the roads. It is a lot of congestion you know, and, and, you know, I, there is a capitalism has a cutting edge sword. I mean, it's Darwinism survival of the fittest. So, you know, it's all, they're always inventing something and producing something, but at the sacrifice of something else in this process. And so, yeah, I don't necessarily disagree, Jonathan, but I do think that they've managed to make that process a little bit more efficient by, and I'm an Amazon consumer. So, but I get, I see that they give me choices now, this, wasn't this the same case years ago, but they give me choices now. Do you want these items shipped separately or all together? And right. if you don't have an immediate due date, you can package them together, which I do, which does help on that efficiency as you were, were talking about. But you're right, if it is a quick one-off item, but they never did that before. Before it was just, you could click the one, you'll have this one tomorrow, you have this one in two days, you'll have this one in three. And now at least you have that option to make a little bit more of an efficient choice yourself. You have ownership in that, you know, making that more efficient choice. Yeah. And like I say, I think it's just headwinds that they're, that they're facing and, and figuring out how it's solved. And, and, you know, I know they're everybody, they were looking at the drone delivery, right? Get the cars off the road, you know, but also that has an, you know, there's an economic sense that I'm not paying drivers, right. You know, reducing human capital vehicles, more expensive cost of fuels, more expensive, you know? So I still believe a lot of these are business driven bottom line strategies, yeah. Um, for them, I mean, it seems to be where they're heavily, heavily focused. Um, but back to their four pillars, I think those you, you can see those pillars in everything they do if you look at it from the business perspective. I agree with you that. Know. Yeah. Yeah. I and I, I definitely think, I mean, looking, I have them in front of me here, and I'm looking at them, and I think that commitment to operational excellence really, if I, if I had to pick one, is, is really the one where they – I don't know. It seems to be the basis for everything that they've done because Jonathan, we, I mean, we've talked, we've kind of rebuted a couple of the, of, of, of these in the time, like the, the passion for invention. Do they really invent or are they, you know, innovating processes and stuff like that, which, you know, again, might be splitting hairs, but understood and customer obsession. Are you like with your customers? Sure. But then there's the back end of, you know, Hey, there's environmental impacts to what you do. I mean, there are, your customers probably are people that, that own bookstores and things like that, that you probably put out of business. So you can kind of pick and yeah. prod at some of it, yeah. but the operational excellence piece of it to me is, is the thing that really sets them apart. And 
I think it's probably why if, if we dig into it, I'm curious your thoughts, but if we dig into it, I think it's probably why they are able to go into all these different industries. You know, Jonathan, you were talking about getting rid of emissions and things like that. It makes me wonder if they may already do this, but if they haven't, are they going to eventually try to enter into the, 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 uh, the green, you know, the, the EV market? Because, you know, the, I think there's the old saying, the old, or there's a quote from somebody, I don't know, maybe Walt Disney, I, you know, my affinity for him, but the best way to predict the future is to create it, right? So I could, I think Bezos, Jeff, Jeff Bezos lives by that, you know, has instilled that within the company. So, hey, if we see a need for something, why don't we just go and, and create that thing, whether it's a new process or a new, you know, technology or whatever it might be. Um, so I, I don't know. I guess I guess is that is that part of driving the innovation, these these circumstances that come up, like environmental standards? Do we think that they that they take the time there? Um, or, or look at it as an opportunity, and then it ties into that long-term thinking. Is that part of their strategy? Like, hey, we might create some problems, but then we'll go and fix them later too. Do you? I mean, does that? I think yeah. I think they look at long-term from a competitive advantage, from customer loyalty, from bottom line. Does this will this make us more efficient? Make us more money? You know, um, I think that. They're to Laura's point very early on. They're plenty big enough to, to try a lot of things and fail at a number of things. Um, but that's what any great inventor or innovator is going to go through that agile development processes around it. And I do think they always do it from that that center of you know customer obsession. But obsession equals profit. <laughs> you know, yeah. so it's I mean. They're, they, I mean, they, they observe their every, they observe behavior in their warehouses to see how somebody bends down and picks something up or how much they have to turn or twist or how far the box has to travel on the conveyor belt. I mean, it is an amazing amount of, of efficiency and obsessions that Cynthia and Laura have both repeated now in this process that I think that they are that I, way beyond the average company that I've experienced. And I've, seen and worked with 300 brands in the marketplace. And I've never seen that level of performance obsession within an organization's operations that I think you hear about and read about in regards to, to Amazon for, for the better or the worse of their employees or whoever it might be. I mean, it's to a level I've never seen. You know, one thing that I think is worth mentioning is what I what I see missing, I guess, from these principles, and granted, these are, I guess, you know, these four principles by which their business is driven, but it's kind of missing that who are we value as a company, as a people, who are our employees, what is our culture, and I don't know if that's purposeful or not. Um, we know that that the treatment of their employees has been a big part of the news for a very, very long time. And again, back to them being very good at crisis communications. The next thing you know, there's a commercial out there about the guy losing a member of his family and Amazon supported him to go to nursing school and actually left Amazon to become a nurse. And so it was brilliantly done and how they, they, they combat that. But back to these guiding principles, you know, 
one thing we always encourage our clients is, is there needs to be, as part of your value system, something that kind of ties back to your employees and who you are as a company and your culture. And I think some of that is is missing from Amazon. Not only that, but I mean, they've taken a lot of criticism over corporate philanthropy, community reinvestment. Bezos was, you know, the only one to not sign, you know, the, the billionaire pack, you know, to donate a percentage of their wealth. Um, yeah. You know, through his divorce, Mackenzie Scott, you know, she gives away, you know, she's, I think she's outspent all, I don't know for a fact, but I, my sense is she's out donated more than, you know, Jeff ever did the entire, if you add up all of his donations <laughs> since the nineties, um, you know, so there is, I think there are two pieces to that organization that are, that fall short. Um, and this customer obsession and willingness to, you know, to innovate or, or, or crush the competition, it does have a, have a cost. Yeah. Um, that's why I said capitalism has a cost on both sides. Right. And in this process. And so I do think that there are two big pieces that everyone would most likely love to see brought into that brand. And maybe with, you know, with Bezos stepping out of this, you know, the, that, that role of running the company is still, I'm sure, you know, as chairman influencing future and strategy and all that, but, mm-hmm. but, you know, maybe the company will evolve over the next 10 years. I mean, it's certainly going to be dealing with all the climate change and ESG only from, if not only from a BISC risk, risk and in business risk liability standpoint, and it doesn't pay attention to the S uh, they're still going to be dealing with the E I mean, they're already dealing with, you know, uh, the supply chain you know, issues as a result of the pandemic. And, you know, I was just reading an article about how now they're looking at buying all these jumbo fleet airliners that can just travel from China and avoid the whole shipping lanes altogether. So, you know, they're, they're, they're looking at these components from an economic standpoint, from a customer obsession delivery standpoint, but are they looking at it from a humanity standpoint, yeah. you know, in that regard? Yeah. And from the social standpoint and the climate standpoint. Yeah, because we are definitely entering this age of ESG and, you know, measurable, you know, the goals like and what are you really doing and can we track the actions and how it measures back to your promise or anything else. And, you know, I, I know they're big, but at some point it's going to affect them as well. So Absolutely. Yeah. No, one, no one's immune to it. So, so I want to wrap up on this. I'm going to put you guys on the spot here a little bit. Um, but, but for all brands out there, so if, you know, think about our clients or you know, potential clients, whatever it might be. What is what is one takeaway, positive, negative that you would say, like you take from the Amazon brand, like you know, talk, thinking about things we discussed here today. What's one takeaway you would say that applies to? any other brand that Amazon either does or doesn't do, or, you know, what sets them apart? Like, Hey, look at what they're doing and look what they're not doing and, and learn from that X brand, whoever you might be. What's, what's one takeaway that you guys have, um, from Amazon? I'll start. Um, I'm going to go back to what I was talking about before in their core competencies, as much as they have grown, as much as they have expanded, as much as they have penetrated other markets, as much as they have bought up other brands, they've never lost sight of what they do best. And that's 
online distribution of consumer goods, right? And then they may have expanded what that means, but they've never lost sight of that. And, you know, going back to when I was talking about core competency, owning your niche, um, doing what you do best, I say that they, you know, they've, they've had some hiccups along the way, Amazon has, and they've certainly grown to the extent of having expanded way beyond that. But I, I believe that they still have not lost sight of what they do best. Okay. Uh, I'm going to pass it over to Cynthia. Um, uh, let's see. I think it's the uh, this entrepreneurial spirit, and I was approaching it as like this kind of day one approach that they uh, have in the company, and uh, you know they expect the expectations their employees approach their work day like that as well. I imagine from the bottom up and everything else, but you know I think it's that entrepreneurial spirit too that it's like we're starting with something new every day. Uh, I think working that into your organization definitely kind of sets the pace and the tone of who you are as a business and as a brand. Uh, So, you know, I think that constant challenge and kind of keeping themselves on their toes, like no time to rest on our laurels. It's always day one is, is a big deal and prices a lot about why they are the way they are. um, Okay. That sounds good. Jonathan, what you got for us? Uh, I agree with what's already been said, but I would add their customer obsession. I mean, they focus on what drives customer value. And I mean, we go in and do a lot of voice of the customer interviews and competitive analysis to help companies realize what their true, where their true value lies. Often they've got it in a tactical position and then they're really missing the strategic positions that drive customer value for loyalty or, or referrals or, or price points. Um, they, they think too small sometimes and, you know, ha- half the work we do, it seems to be focused on, you know, helping a company truly understand its customer value drivers in this process. And I think Amazon is pretty good at it and figuring it out through technology and data and competitive analysis and, and all of those touch points that you use to determine these things. So no, that, that, make, that, that makes that'd be sense. my two cents. <laughs> you know, that no, that's awesome. Com- companies often overlook a lot of hidden customer value in their operations and, and, and their messaging and their delivery of their services or products. And that's something that they come to us to help them figure out. Yeah. So, so there you have it. The, 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 the big three takeaways are one, don't lose sight of your core competency. Um, always, you know, be true to your roots, if you will, uh, to take that, that day one mentality, that day one approach of like, you know, that entrepreneurial spirit of, Hey, there's, there's work to be done. And we never want to get, we never want to get too, too comfy and cozy. And the number three, of course, customer obsession, you know, go, go to great lengths. And Jonathan, you alluded to it earlier, go to great lengths to understand your customer, what drives them, what makes them tick. And there you can uncover the, the, the value and, and, and your path forward. So, um, that's it for me today, guys. Uh, I really appreciate you guys taking out the time and, and joining us. This is super helpful, super insightful. So thank you. Um, and we'll catch you guys next time. So see you later. Thanks, Chris. Thank you, Chris. Thanks. Appreciate it. That's it for this edition of Solving for B. If you enjoyed the episode, check out brandextract.com for more content from our team about all things branding and marketing.